This is episode 304 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are The Four Things I Missed Most in Urban Survival Mode and Nine Best Dog Breeds for Protection and Hunting in an SHTF Survival Situation. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. And when you purchase the ebook, which is very, very affordable, you also get access to the private Prepper website forums where you can come and get advice about your micro business, share your advice, share what you're learning, and also uh, just navigate the Prepper website forums where we do have survival, preparedness, homesteading, and all those types of forums there. So uh, if you like a little bit more information, there's links in the show notes and also at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey guys, let's go ahead and get started. All right, this is a very interesting article. Um, it was written by someone who went through the recent earthquake in Mexico City, uh, which was September 19th, 2017. And uh, you know, some of the things that uh, he learned and he's sharing that he would have liked to have uh, in, in that scenario. So let's go ahead and read this one. The four things I missed most in urban survival mode. Did you ever picture putting all your survival know-how to the test in an urban environment? In a giant city? Did you think about all the piles of rubble you'd have to work around to put rubber to the road? Mexico City earthquake September 19, 2017. I know I didn't until I found myself in Mexico City on September 19th of last year, that is. This was the day a 7.2 earthquake shook central Mexico, toppled buildings, and killed nearly 400 people. This also happened to be the anniversary to the day of the hugely destructive 1985 Guerrero earthquake that shook the city to its knees and claimed an untold number of lives. Estimates range from 10,000 to 45,000 people. September 19, 2017 didn't exactly have an auspicious start when the seismic alarm sounded throughout the city in the late morning. But this first alarm was just a drill, a reminder of 1985 and the shaky soil on which the city sits. It's a drill that sounded every September 19th. Schools, offices, and hospitals throughout the city practice a mock evacuation, so it was nothing to worry about. However, just after 2 p.m., there was plenty to worry about, as the alarm sounded once more. I knew that this time it was definitely not a drill. As I observed my environs swaying from side to side, I was at the mercy of nature. Buildings mere blocks from me had crumbled to dust. Critical infrastructure was knocked out or overloaded as thousands desperately tried to make their way home. I felt like I was in the beginning scenes of an SHTF scenario and I was kicking myself for not being prepared. Sure, I had the beginnings of a bug out bag, but prepping had been a neglected hobby to this point. It had not been a priority. Four items I wished for. These four items include a generator and a power bank. They also include a motorcycle and a life straw. So let me explain. Number one, a generator. 
A generator is not the most exciting su survival gadget in the world, but I noticed its absence. Sure, an extra generator would have been nice for the six or so hours that I was without power in my home, but the city was able to restore my neighborhood pretty quickly. Others were not so lucky. Some neighborhoods went over a week without power, and I would have been happy to loan my generator to those who needed it most. The people forced to live in darkness for days, or even more important, the 24-7 citizenry, debris cleaning crews helping to clear the rubble needed power. Darkness has a heavy psychological effect, fueling psychological aftershocks of the event. A little light and steadiness could have gone far. By nightfall, most rescue crews had gathered the tools they needed, but it would have been nice to be able to contribute something immediately to the effort. In the weeks that followed, there were also periodic shortages of mission-critical items like shovels, helmets, and gloves. And so there's a couple of little things thrown in there. You know, definitely the generator. And you know, he's saying that he, he wouldn't have needed it because he got power restored pretty quickly. Uh, but, you know, the, the fact of wanting to help other people out, um, you know, you have that, that uh, desire to do that. Even when you're in the midst of a situation, I mean, we saw that here in Houston with Harvey, you know, neighborhoods that were not hit, people were going and, and helping their, you know, neighborhoods just a few miles down the road that, uh, you know, helping them muck out houses and different things like that. And then the, the things of shovels and helmets and gloves, you know, some of those tools like, you know, shovels and, and axes and, and hammers and, and all that kind of wrenches, those things are just very valuable when it comes to an SHTF scenario. And when you don't have, I mean, those are investments, right? Uh, if you really truly think about it. And if you never were able to go to another Home Depot or a Lowe's or, or whatever to go get another tool, I mean, how valuable would those be? And so in this situation, when he's talking about shovels and gloves, uh, you know, those are some things there. I mean, he's not talking about those as like those would have been things that he he liked or he would have wanted to have uh, more of. But he was saying that that's something that he recognized that there were shortages of. You want to keep a mental note of that. Uh, next time you you know you are you're thinking about your supplies and other things you you want to uh, to add to your uh, to your items there. All right. So the second thing is motorcycle. A motorcycle would have been useful. No, the streets of Mexico City didn't collapse. They weren't blocked by piles of concrete. There was no electricity. So without orderly transitions from red lights to green, chaos ensues. Traffic congests, and ordinary citizens are forced to step in and direct traffic. A strong sense of being entrapped in an urban environment ensues. Shortly after the quake, as I stood on one of the main north to south arteries in Mexico City, I witnessed a lone figure on a motorcycle zip out of the city. He was able to bypass traffic quickly and effectively, while the rest of us, reliant on suddenly impractical sedans and SUVs or worse, public transport, were stuck. Luckily, the city remained calm throughout the duration of the recovery effort, but a motorcycle would have been a strong psychological tool telling me that if I needed to get out, I can. You know, the other thing there is also a bicycle, right? And I think bicycles are, are one of those items that we don't talk a lot about in the preparedness community. Yes, there have been articles throughout the years, but uh, I think I can probably count all the articles that I have uh, linked to about bicycles on Prepper web website, maybe on one hand at the most two, but uh, I think that's a, a very valuable item to have. A really good mountain bike that's rug, you know, ruggedized, 
that you're able to, uh, to, to write around. So that would have been very helpful here in this scenario as well. Um, you know, I'll tell you this, you know, I have family that lives in Monterey, Mexico. So, you know, far away from Mexico City. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the driving there is absolutely crazy. So you think of any kind of crazy driving that you've ever experienced in the States and then just multiply that uh, by by 10, uh, you know, when you go down there. It's, I don't know. It's been a long, long time. I mean, I was a kid the last time I was there. But so I don't know if it if it has gotten any better. So I just I can only imagine what it was like without not without having electricity and lights and and people directing traffic and how crazy it would have been. And then people, you know, your cars are breaking down, you're running out of fuel, all those different different kind of things. All right, number three is a life straw. Luckily, the water lines in my neighborhood remained intact, but the life straw was peace of mind. Even with water available, I filled my bathtub with water as a precaution as soon as I confirmed that my house was safe to enter. That said, I was extremely grateful to at least be prepared with the life straw, the one item I did have the foresight to travel with. In times of anxiety, the life straw meant that I may not have much food, but I've got water, come what may. In an SHTF situation, a life straw will mean you don't have to ration dwindling supplies or, worse, take your chances with unsafe contaminated sources. Even if you aren't in a life or death situation, a life straw will mean you don't have to lug gallons of water from the nearest open store back to your shelter, saving you critical time and energy. With a life straw, I could have purified water from working spigots if need be. It would have been easy to share too. I never expected that my life straw could come in handy in a city where grocery stores, gas stations, and vending machines had bottled water readily available in normal conditions, yet here I was. They always say that dehydration is a person's worst enemy in exposed situations. I didn't wrap my head around just how right they were until this day. I'd take a life straw over John Moses Browning's famed 1911 pistol in most any survival situation. Okay, so uh, let me talk very briefly about the life straw. Uh, I believe that if, if you don't have any water filters at all, that's one of the things that you definitely need to get, right? It's just smart to have one of those. If you are looking for a solution, that uh, a better solution that will filter more water, then you definitely want to go with the Sawyer Mini Water Filter. Um, you know, it's it's not very hard to use. You know, you do need to figure it out a little bit. You need to play around with it a little bit and, uh, you know, th- that kind of thing. So there's a, a lot more that you can do with it. If you're wanting something for a family member who just is not going to figure out how to how to work a, a Sawyer mini water filter or is not going, maybe they're a child and you just want something very, very easy for them to understand to, to use. The life straw is the is the easiest. So, the life straw is the easiest water filter to use. I don't know if that is the one that everyone should have. Again, I think the Sawyer water mini filter uh, would would be you know the one that you would want. And so you know that always kind of comes up in discussions. There, people start talking about those two. So I would I would always stick with the Sawyer uh, water filter. Uh, if you were, you know, if you were really serious about filtering water and you wanted to have, you know, a, a really lightweight but really good solution, but the life straw for someone who just needs something very simple uh, to be able to stick it in water and drink. There are ways to kind of hack a, a life straw that I have seen. 
where people can use that to filter more amounts where you're not just sucking it up, you know, like in a straw way, a straw, you know, the, the way that it's meant to be. Uh, there's ways to, to do that that I have seen. And so, you know, a simple little YouTube search, you know, hacking a life straw, whatever, will uh, let you see that. So, you know, if you have a life straw and uh, maybe you go watch the, some of those videos, you can filter more water as opposed to just drinking it through, you know, your mouth the way it's intended. But definitely water filters are very important. You need to be thinking about that. You, you need to be thinking about a family solution as well. You know, I shared not too long ago the issue that I had with, uh, you know, with the, the water spilling out of the, our refrigerator when they turned the, the water mains back on in the neighborhood. And uh, since then, I haven't been able to fix the ice machine. I haven't been able to, uh, you know, to get the water uh, turned back on to the uh, to the refrigerator and use the, the the water filter that we have in there. Just because, and really, it's not the best either. But uh, it's not the best solution uh, that you can go go with. But uh, it just I haven't been able to fix the refrigerator yet. Although it's working, I just can't send water to it. So uh, one of the things that we started doing right away was using the Hydro Blue uh, pressurized jerry can. And uh, so we just, we've been using that ever since, uh, you know, that, that situation happened. And I think everybody's gotten really used to it. And it's working really well. I've been, you know, I've been using it and just, I kind of want to just see what, what it's going to, what it's like and, and how much we're going to go through. And, and, uh, you know, it just, it works very easy, uh, to, uh, to, to get the water that we need. And so, you know, you have the Sawyer mini water filter, you have life straw, but you do need a family, uh, a family water filter, some kind of uh, system in, in that way. And so uh, if, you, if you need to look into a bigger family, uh, a family solution, the Hydro Blue Jerry Can uh, is one that uh, you should at least look at. I did do a video on that on YouTube, just the, the unboxing. I'm going to link to it again in the show notes. And so if you're just curious and you want to go check it out, uh, I think it's a real good solution there. All right. So number four is a power bank. The next best thing to a generator would have been a portable power bank. In a true SHTF situation, mobility and information are essential. You need a backup plan. Even if a building has power, it might not be safe to stay in it long enough to charge your phone. Not captured in the figures about the earthquake are the many thousands of residents unable to return to their homes. They simply didn't know if they were safe until a government inspection, which took weeks in many cases. For the people forced to camp on the streets because they don't know if the cracks in their walls represented structural or cosmetic damage, a mobile power bank would have made all the difference. While phones are not essential to survival, information is. Without the use of my phone, I couldn't find out whether the airport was operating, where I should go to prepare for aftershocks and where to avoid, or whether my travel companions were okay. I was only able to mark myself as safe on Facebook to let friends and family at home know that I was okay before my phone died. Besides being an information beacon, my smartphone had several tools that would have been invaluable during the crisis. I missed the flashlight feature most of all especially without power indoors and without streetlights at nighttime. It's a 21st century luxury, yes, but my smartphone could have been in a four-way tie for survival tools for which I am most grateful. If only I had a power bank to charge the things. You know what? And guys, I, you've heard me talk about this, uh, you know, uh, many, many times. A power bank is definitely something that you should have. They are so cheap. Some of them are so thin. They're just, they're the size of 
of a, of a cell phone. And so if you are, uh, you know, you, even if you don't have a bag, you, your kids, right? Uh, you're, you know, they, they don't want to carry an EDC or something like that. You can give them one of these things and, and that way you know for sure that they're going to have extra power to be able to contact you if they, if they need to. And so uh, there are some out there now. I just recently purchased one that I, it, it's a human, well, it's, it has a humongous, humongous amount of power. It's not very big. And uh, I was like, whoa, when I saw the price and I saw how big of a battery it was, the milliamps on it, I'm like, man, I'm going to try this one out because uh, there's a lot of bang for your buck in this one. So I'm going to play with it a little bit and then I'll tell you a little bit about it if, uh, if I think it's a, it's a good one to, uh, to, to purchase. And uh, I might do a video on it on Facebook Live here in the future. All right, so, uh, but definitely, if you don't have one, uh, you know, think about getting a power bank and, you know, even one for your spouse or, you know, for your, uh, your grown, your teenage kids or whatever that they can put in a backpack or a purse or even put, you know, in their pants so they know that they can, you know, have extra power if they need to. All right, so uh, continuing on. After watching the devastation of several natural disasters hitting huge cities this past year, I now take prepping very, very seriously. I was amazed at how 30 seconds of heavy shaking can threaten to tear up the fabric of a city. I was grateful to see the citizens of Mexico City act with calm and relative preparedness. This was a city that had experienced disaster before. It wasn't ready, you never completely are, but it handled it well. I wouldn't expect most other cities to do the same. Mostly, I was surprised at how just four items could have made the difference between peace and panic as we lived through the Central Mexico earthquake in September 2017. All right, so there could have been definitely some other items there that I would have thought about, and he probably, his list might have been a whole lot different if he wouldn't have had power restored uh, to, his, to his home right away. But definitely, you know, this goes to, you know, one of the things to consider here, especially if you're in an area where, uh, you know, it's prone to earthquakes. You know, in Mexico City, he was talking about some of the of the buildings were just, you know, went to rubble in 30 seconds. So if you have all your preparedness supplies in there and your your house or the building that your apartment, whatever that you live in, you know, is completely demolished and all your preparedness supplies are in there, man, you're just you're unprepared, basically. Right. What a big, big testament to the fact of uh, carrying around an EDC, you know, uh, kit in your vehicle and your you know with you uh with with basic preparedness items that uh, could pay off if you were in a situation like that so guys that's over at uh, survivalblog.com and there are you know uh comments here that you might be interested in reading so you can go check that one out all right so let's go ahead and go into our next article of the podcast it comes to us from bsurvival.com and the title of the article is Nine Best Dog Breeds for Protection and Hunting in an SHTF Survival Situation. So let's go ahead and read this one. Looking for a survival dog? What breed will offer the most protection and will help you the most? We have the answer with these nine suggestions. A few months back, we decided to add a new pet to our family. We knew it would be a good lesson for our children to learn to take care of their animals and will help them learn about responsibility. We decided to find a breed that would help us out when the SHTF. Dogs offer a variety of great things to help with survival like being a superb early warning system, companionship, threat deterrent, and can help you find and catch food. Now, the question is what kind of dog can make the greatest survival dogs? 
These dogs are in a random order and are all beneficial to your survival in some way. So the best breeds for survival. And of course, this is someone's opinion. So if you are a dog owner or a dog lover and you might have a whole different opinion, uh, but there are some good uh, good suggestions here. So, uh, you know, hear these out. Here we go. The first one is a Labrador Retriever, also known as a Lab for short. It is a kind of hunting dog. Labs are great swimmers due to their large webbed paws, helped for the breed's initial purpose that was retrieving fishing nets. This, along with their subsequent use as legendary hunting companions, gave the Lab the name Retriever. The dogs of this particular breed are extremely loving, compassionate, and kind to their master. The Labrador Retriever is considered the most popular breed of dog worldwide. The pros. They're outstanding hunting dogs, all-weather coat, outstanding endurance, powerful swimmers, extremely trainable, smart, great sense and hearing of smell for early warning, good work ethic. They can bring their very own bug-out bag and dedicated to family members. A con. They can overheat in intense weather, is often clumsy and loud, questionable protection ability because of their lovable characteristics high prey drive means that they could often run off and there's a moderate fear factor number two is a rottweiler rottweilers are a big sized breed of domestic dog which originated from rottweil germany the dogs have been recognized as rottweil butchers dogs since they were put to use herding domesticated livestock and pulling carts filled with other products and butchered meat to the local store it's a hardy and extremely clever breed. The pros. For individual safety, they're second to none. All-weather coat, very trainable, smart, great hearing and sense of smell for early warning. Dedicated to family members. The cons. Can overheat in intense heat, questionable endurance, poor hunters when compared with other dogs. As a result of their protective nature, they could become a liability. Number three, Rhodesian Ridgeback. The Ridgeback is a distinctive dog breed created in southern Africa where it would hunt lions and also service as a general homestead dog. As a result of the Ridgeback's history of hunting lions, this particular dog is renowned for its bravery. The Pros This particular dog is made for stamina along with speed. Exceptional hunters by themselves, intelligent, great sense of smell and hearing for early warning, trainable, higher fear factor, ability going long stretches with no water, adaptable coat for many environmental conditions, especially heat, dedicated to loved ones, and can transverse virtually any surface because of their athletic build. The cons. Because of an excessive prey drive, this particular dog can run off questionable coat for severe cold weather, and moderate to low protection ability, and can be stubborn. Number four is the German Shepherd. The German Shepherd is a breed of large-sized dog. As a member of the herding class, the German Shepherd is a working dog created initially for herding sheep in the hinterland. Due to its abilities, intelligence, and strength in obedience training, it's commonly used in police and military functions around the world. Because of its protective and loyal nature, the German Shepherd is among the most registered of breeds. Pros. It's a great stamina, higher fear factor, outstanding private safety, extremely trainable, very good all-weather coat, dedicated to loved ones, exceptional sense and hearing of smell for early warning, and clever. The cons. May overheat in intense heat and have a questionable overall health. Number five is the Akita. 
The Akita is a Japanese breed of large dog originating from Japan. This particular dog is a distinctive mix of dignity, alertness, courage, and devotion to its family members. It's extraordinarily affectionate and loyalty to friends and family and territorial about its home. And it may be downright nasty with strangers. Because it's a sizable, powerful dog, the Akita is definitely not a breed for everyone. Their background provides a strong, independent streak, which can make Akitas unreliable, off-lead, and even more difficult in obedience activities. The Akita was in no way bred to follow or even work in organizations like many dogs. Rather, they lived and also worked alone or perhaps in pairs, a choice reflected today. Akitas have a tendency to carry a socially dominant role along with other dogs and hence careful attention has to be used in cases when Akitas will probably be around many other dogs, particularly unfamiliar ones. Pros. Great endurance. Higher fear factor. Outstanding personal security. Teachable. Outstanding winter weather coat. Dedicated to loved ones. Great sense and hearing of smell. For early warning. Cons. Doesn't play nicely with other dogs and animals. Unreliable and spontaneous sometimes. Will overheat in intense heat. Stubborn and much harder to teach. Number six is the Jack Russell Terrier. The Jack Russell Terrier is a little terrier that got its roots in fox hunting. Because of their working nature, Jack Russell Terriers continue to be popular as they have been some 200 years back. They're tenacious, tough, and sturdy. Measuring somewhere between 10 inches to 15 inches at the shoulder and weigh 14 to 18 pounds. The Jack Russell is a high energy breed which needs a high level of stimulation and exercise and doesn't have many serious health complaints. Pound for pound, the Jack Russell may be the toughest dog on the list of survival dogs. The pros, unbelievable stamina because of its size, excellent hearing for early warning, tenacious barker at strangers, lower health problems, good all-weather coat, Easily transportable on account of weight and size. Minimal food consumption. Great little game hunter. Fearless. They will fit into any shelter you have to keep them in. The cons. There's a low fear factor. Minimal personal protection ability. Significant prey drive means this particular dog can run off. Can bark too much. Won't travel very well in snow that is deep. And questionable coat for weather that is cold. Number seven is the pit bull. The American Pit Bull Terrier is a medium-sized dog. It has a short coat and well-defined muscle structure, smooth. The dog was bred initially to bait bulls and bears. The Pit Bull is a breed that is dedicated to family and friends and is usually friendly towards strangers. Many people are known to be fearful of them due to their bad reputations. They do display a greater percent of aggression than other breeds and also an extremely high prey drive towards small animals including little kids so socialization at a young age is a necessity. The pros, great endurance, dedicated to owner, higher fear factor, trainable, excellent warm climate coat, long lifespan and also generally healthy dogs, medium protection ability, great little game hunters. The cons, doesn't play nicely with others, questionable history around children that are small including the owner's own family. Unreliable and spontaneous, sometimes bad winter weather coats. Number eight is the English Mastiff. Distinguishable by huge size and substantial head, the Mastiff is notable for its mild temperament. The average male can weigh 150 to 250 pounds and the average female can weigh 120 to 200 pounds. 
While calm and affectionate to its master, it's effective at protection. If an unknown person approaches close to the master's perceived territory or its master, usually it'll instantly place itself in between its master and the stranger. If the approaching person is regarded as a risk, the mastiff usually takes immediate preventative action. Mastiffs are generally good-natured, easygoing, calm, and surprisingly gentle for their size. It's a well-mannered house pet if it gets regular activity and exercise. The Mastiff is commonly an incredibly devoted breed, exceptionally dedicated to its family, and great with small dogs and children. The pros. High personal protection, all-weather coat, highly trainable, smart, great, sense of hearing and of smell for early warning, and dedicated to loved ones. High fear factor. The cons. Can overheat in hot climate, very questionable endurance, and huge food consumption. Alright, number nine. The Mutt. The mud is often some combination of the characteristics you would like in a dog and maybe not any of the qualities you would want to do without. With a mutt, it's difficult to know what you're going to wind up with, but often if you raise them starting from a puppy and also train and treat them effectively, they are going to be much more likely to become an advantage compared to a liability. The pros can be the very best attributes of many dogs stated above, have lower health issues than pure breeds, and the cons could be the worst attributes of the dog stated above. So the final thoughts are, just like you do research on other survival gear and items, do research on which dog will be the right fit for your family. A pit bull may be out of the question if you have younger kids, and a Jack Russell may not be what you're looking for if you want a larger dog. All in all, it comes down to which breed will fit into your family the best and will be best at helping keep you alive in an SHTF situation. And in case you were wondering, we went with a Jack Russell and a German Shepherd. All right, so a couple of things here, you know, where you're just getting some information uh, about these dogs, and it's not the end-all, be-all list here. Um, One of the things that, and I was very glad that the last, you know, number nine was the mutt, because one thing that you find, if you're not very careful, um, when people are breeding, you know, these, these dogs, right, um, they're, they're breeding them. They'll say they'll try to pass them off as purebred, but they're, you know, inbreeding them. And that's one reason why some of these, uh, some dogs uh, do have health problems because they've been inbred so much. Uh, you know, I've had purebred, uh, you know, dogs before and they have had health problems. And then I've had mutts and they were great. They lived long. They were smart. And uh, to be honest with you, if I was to get another dog, I think I would go with a mutt. I think I would go to the, you know, to the uh, uh, the pound or wherever they drop off here in Houston. It's the SPCA, and uh, I would go down there and I would find a, a puppy uh, mix with what I was looking for, you know, and uh, probably go go that route. Uh, I've never, I, I guess it can go both ways. I've always heard you get the best, the best genes are passed to the mutt. Uh, I've never really heard that the the worst genes get passed to the mutt. But I guess it's possible. So, you know, you're kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess it's kind of a toss-up there if that is the way that it works. But in my experience, all mutts have been, the mutts that I have dealt with have been smart and have been really good dogs. And so, um, you know, that's probably where I would go there. But you definitely, if you're going with a pure purebred dog, you do want to put eyes on the, on the mom, right? You want to put eyes on the mom, on the parents if you can. Uh, you want to, you know, I guess you can, 
you know, register them and get all the family history and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, all that. Just you want to be smart about it. Uh, you can pay a lot of money for a purebred dog. You just want to make sure that you're not going to have a lot of health problems down the road. Uh, you want to definitely buy it from a reputable person. Uh, but uh, I definitely do believe that, you know, if we were in a SHTF situation, you know, some of the you know, animals would be very beneficial to us. Uh, I always say, you know, I don't want a cat right now. Uh, <laughs> I don't want a cat uh, where I live right now. But if it was, uh, an, if I was in an SHTF uh, situation, we were living up in the country, I would want uh, like a barn, barnyard uh, cat, uh, you know, that could be around there catching mice and, and those types of things. I definitely would want, uh, you know, a, a cat around there. But definitely also, uh, you know, dogs, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, they just hear things so much uh, better than, than we do. You know, many times where we are here in the living room and the dogs will, you know, they, their ears perk up and they run to the door and they start barking. And so we know that people are in the front way before, uh, you know, way before they ring the doorbell or they're knocking or anything like that. Or even before we hear a car door slam, they are running to the front door because they know someone's there. So I think it's very beneficial there. You do need to be fair to your dogs. Try to train. You know, you got to train them. You got to feed them well. You got to exercise them. Uh, and that might be one of the things that you consider, like you know, when you're going from a, a small dog uh, to a big dog. And you know, uh, you might want to consider all those types of things. Am I going to be able to give them the exercise that they need? Uh, our neighbor uh, our, that's across the fence has two Jack Russell Terriers and, and, uh, they seem to listen pretty well. I mean, he lets them, they're loose. They stay in his yard. And when he calls them, uh, they come, they come running and he looks like, uh, he's trained them very well. So they're good looking dogs. So I really like that. But I think, uh, there could have been a bunch of other dogs you could have added here to this list. There are a couple of comments that you might be interested in, in reading. And then of course, always these articles, there's links that you can, uh, you can click on and, and check out. And so again, guys, that's over at thesurvival.com. Like always, I'm going to link to these in the show notes. And so uh, you can go straight over there and uh, you know read them if you want to read them just a little bit uh, more slowly or you want to click on some of the links. I always recommend that you do that. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 304. I appreciate that you've hung out with me on this episode. Hey, to subscribe to the show, head on over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. You can come over to the Facebook group, Twitter, email, whatever you want to do there. I love to connect. I love to hear from listeners out there. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.